Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you. Be careful what you uh, volunteer for. You might be asked to do it. Uh, was some weeks back, I think, uh, praying with Heidi that uh, Kim and I were here and being a pastor years ago, um, I recognized the value of having other people to be able to help out, uh, especially when you have a family, a young family. And I would mentioned that, uh, hey, if Josh wants some help, um, if he needs any kind of relief or a break or maybe an emergency comes up, uh, you know, I'd be willing to step in right now. And Josh has been so great about that. He's always told me, he says, I'm going to let you be here. You know, but when you're ready to jump in, believe me, I'm going to use you. Well, guess what? I'm here today. And so that brings me here with you today. Uh, It's been five years since I've either taught a lesson or done something from a sermon uh, stance. I'm a chronic uh, croucher. So if my posture bothers you, I'm just going to have to deal with that. And um, so let's begin. This uh, message actually was prepared mostly by Josh, and so I'm just going to keep following along with that. I typically don't do a lot of reading, but it might be feel like I'm reading to you today. Uh, it's a collaboration, and uh, I have my contributions to it, and uh, so I just wanted to, you know, preface that. So here we are at Easter, and Kim and I will be at uh, Movement two years this Easter, uh, so we're kind of celebrating that. And um, it's really a, a, a great time right now to uh, be thinking about um, what the meaning of that is and how restoration comes in and how God uh, uses other people out on the fringes and uh, beyond to be able to help restore us. And in this story today, uh, we're focusing on the people on the fringe. Um, it's been about 2,000 years since the days of Jesus It's hard not to feel the distance. It's as if we're mere bystanders watching from worlds away, viewing Jesus, you know, from the farthest reaches, our eyes straining to take in the details, straining to feel the impact, perhaps straining to be moved. But what if we allow ourselves to be drawn from the fringes as we look through the eyes of those who actually witnessed the events and specifically what happened that Thursday night before Good Friday. What would it have felt like to actually have been there to watch this unfold? I mean, we heard the stories, you probably know the story, but feel free to comment and let us know if you haven't known the story at all. You're tuning into this and you can look at the calendar and you can tell Easter's coming. It's just around the corner. So typically for Christians, there's no surprises here. But there is still something that challenges us and we need to encounter. So let's ask for this moment for fresh eyes. Eyes that gaze at him, not for the thousandth time, but see him as if for the first time. To imagine what it might be like to be there. In these weeks leading up to each Easter, let each set aside the expectations that we have for the season and let us lay aside these expectations we bring to the story as well. 
Each week leading up, we're looking at the periphery characters, the people on the fringe uh, that interact with Jesus in this last week and in the hours leading up to and including the cross and beyond. Maybe you've missed the characters, but I want you to try and put yourself in their shoes and think about what it would feel like and what have happened after, maybe what would have changed. Last week, we talked about the murder of Barabbas being set free on that Good Friday morning, that Jesus was taking his place. Barabbas was being freed by Jesus, the first, but absolutely not the last. Today, we're looking at what happened the night before. And this is how the story goes. And as I tell this story, we're going to go and see this through the writers of Luke and Mark and put the whole picture together in a more, you know, uh, idea that we can see spatially. And I begin, if you're following along, I encourage you to follow along. I'm going to tell you each scripture I read from, and you can follow along with us. And right now, we're going to jump around with Luke 22, uh, 1 through 5, and 39 through 44. We're going to jump over to Mark and 14. Uh, beginning at 43, skipping along at 45, 46, and 50, back to Luke 22, and then end in Mark 14, 66 through 71. I know that sounds like a lot of scripture and a lot to take in, but I did want to give you the opportunity to join me in that, and I'm going to read that right now, beginning at Luke 22, 1 through 5. Now the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. Judas, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. Verse 39 and 22, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Mark fourteen forty three. Just as he was speaking, Judas appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Mark 14, beginning at verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself at the fire, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know, understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, 
This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. The servant girl, one of the fringe characters. She was no ordinary servant, but a servant of the high priest, a man named Caiaphas. We don't know what she did, but she was there serving one of the most powerful leaders in Jerusalem. And when I approach scripture, I can't help but notice that we just say servant girl. Uh, Let's give servant girl a name. Perhaps you would like to give the servant girl a name. Feel free to comment and maybe pop in a name that uh, you would like to uh, remember your servant girl. Uh, Maybe Rich can share that with us. I don't know. And we could use that name if you feel free to do that. But I like to give servant girl a name because I think that names are very important when we approach people. And uh, so right now, indulge me with that. At the moment, I'm going to give her, I'm going to say this girl's name is Maria. So you have to wonder what Maria saw. No doubt she had a sharp eye and a knack for remembering faces. And we all know that we tend not to notice those who we decide are not important, perhaps. We kind of, I don't know, edit people out, if you will. And in that society, a young servant girl, well, as Josh says, she checks all the boxes, you know. Perhaps she got to witness some of the Jesus teachings and miracles. She's definitely seen some things. She certainly wouldn't forget the face. I think that someone in her position who has the gumption to speak up and challenge Peter in public would have a knack for knowing which way the wind was blowing. She knew something was going on here with Jesus. It might have frustrated her to watch her master sit idly by as temple worship fell into total disgrace. I would guess that she being Caiaphas' you know, house that she was observant, and the challenges that Jesus brought must have at least given her some pauses. I bet she never forgot the scene that Jesus made in the temple courts. How dare you turn my father's house into a market, like a madman flipping those tables, you know, and scattering the coins everywhere. But maybe there was something about his courage and conviction that drew her. He even claimed that he could rebuild the temple in three days. What could he possibly mean by that? I wonder if when she saw Jesus challenge her master and everything he held dear, I wonder if she considered following him then and there. I wonder if there, on that late Thursday night, that Monday Thursday we call it, she was kicking herself for perhaps not following him. Being who she was, I can see Maria having a front row seat to the fury of her master when Jesus heals this paralyzed man on the Sabbath, no doubt. The man that sits helpless and destitute for 38 years and all Jesus had to say was get up and walk. So simple, right? The whole city from that buzz 
with every miraculous step. Could she have resisted being caught up in that, being compelled by this eccentric rabbi who appeared to be homeless but challenged her master? Who ever heard of such a thing? No one ever did the things Jesus could do. But now, here, he's disgraced. In the dark night, Jesus is there alone. Have you ever been alone in your dark nights? Even his closest followers deny him. It was a cool night, so of course people draw to a fire. Temple courts were always busy, busy, especially at Passover. And all the commotion of Jesus being arrested. There must have been a lot of curious folks, you know, with the commotion. Stopping by to warm themselves and maybe give or get a piece of the local gossip what's going on. And Maria probably recognized most, but there was one that she recognized not because she saw him regularly at the temple, but maybe because he wasn't a regular. The glow of the fire gives Peter's face away. She recognized him at once and persisted, but he denied it and ran away. How can he hide in the shadows, she might wonder. How can he not Fight for his friend. This servant girl, Maria, was just an observer. But now, she's part of the story. She's been drawn from the edges and into the fray. And there she stands bewildered and confused. Imagine seeing Jesus through these eyes, you know. He was exalted, now abandoned. Who is this man? Could all of this even been a lie? Was all of his goodness for nothing? What now? What now? When we approach Jesus, maybe we're like Maria the servant girl. We have heard about the miracles, the teachings, We've heard about his love, perhaps even his audacious claims or masterful stories. But we also know about his followers. Hearing that Peter, the leader of the twelve, fled in the face of pointed question from this young girl probably doesn't surprise any of us. Maybe the followers of Jesus you've met, possibly maybe they haven't been the most authentic either. Or let's zoom in and take a closer look in the mirror. Maybe you are like me. And maybe you've been in Peter's spot countless times. Can you think of a time that you can resonate with that? I can. It was five years ago. Five years ago... I left the church of the United Methodist Church with a lot of illusions and disillusionments. And it took a while to be restored. But God does, God is in the restoration business. And I'm grateful for God being in the restoration business because we can, we can lose our way. 
There are other circumstances, maybe very different than what Peter's facing. Like, we might stand by and let others be subject to verbal abuses, uh, abuses of sexism or racism, uh, or other forms of injustice and, and not speak up. Or maybe we allow others to mock our friends' religious beliefs in their presence without any response whatsoever. But there's good news here, and whether you're the skeptical servant girl, and I'm kind of a skeptic doubter, people who know me well know that actually my faith grows by being Thomas the doubter or the skeptical because I ask questions not to uh, get farther away from God or anything, but actually good questions lead me closer to God. And right here, uh, Peter, who's known for his boisterous mouth, we find, well, there's still hope. We don't know what happens to the servant girl, but Jesus has demonstrated over and over again that he seems to specialize in inviting the overlooked and follow him. And we read that Peter is restored, forgiven, and made whole. There is a story that the Apostle John writes in his account of Jesus about something that happens after Easter. And this telling, Peter seems to be racked with guilt about his three-time denial that he even knew Jesus. It appears that Peter has yet to fully believe that Jesus has been resurrected or he believes there's no room for a coward like him. We find Peter and some of the other disciples back at the Sea of Galilee, and guess what they're doing? They do what most of us probably would go do, the same thing we were doing before we found and followed Jesus, right? They go back to fishing. I'd like to make a notation in all the studying and the learning. I'm not a very great fisherman, and I don't think the disciples are either. It just seems like they can't catch anything unless Jesus is there to help them. Uh, and here again, he helps them, you know. They have been out there fishing with no luck, as if they're coming back to shore, and a man's there on the beach and tells them to cast the nets one last time, and they haul in this huge catch of fish. Wait a minute. There's something familiar here about this. We've been here before. And realization comes in that this is a Jesus miracle. Have you had any Jesus miracles in your life that you know when you know that's something that God's a part of? There's this Jesus miracle, and the man on this beach is the resurrected Jesus. And to this impetuous Peter, jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, right then and there. They all get to shore and wind up eating breakfast with Jesus and then this conversation with Peter and Jesus appears. John chapter 21, reading from 15 and 17, and then down we'll read 19. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, 
take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter hurt because Jesus keeps asking him and asks him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. The three questions about Peter's love for Jesus actually seems to counterbalance all of Peter's denials of Jesus. And I don't know if that was intentional there, but it's just something I can't help but notice. I don't know what you notice. How about you? I did notice something also. Feed, take care, feed. Not abuse my sheep, not judge the sheep. We don't hear verbally abuse the sheep. Feed, take care, feed. The invitation and the offer are the same. You want to be forgiven? You want to be made whole? You want to be freed? You want to step into something better? The full life that Jesus does speak of? Peter and Jesus' most desperate time betrays his friend publicly, shamefully. It's not just something that he's sitting in the living room denying. It's not like you're sitting there, you know, behind a digital frame denying. Like this is publicly, shamefully denying. Yet Jesus restores him, forgives, he gives purpose, and invites him to follow him. There's four things I want us to pay attention to. Jesus restores him. He forgives. He gives purpose. Don't forget that. And he invites him again to follow him. And Jesus is still doing just that. Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, follow me. If you're going to fulfill the mission entrusted to you, if movement is going to fulfill the mission entrusted to us, you and I will need the risen Christ guiding and feeding us. Christ still calls us, even the doubters, even the skeptics. He still calls us. I wonder if you could share, what has Jesus chosen and called you to do? Maybe you know it. It may sound rhetorical, but I invite you to share that. What has Jesus called you to do? Because he still is, you know. He's still in the restoration business. He takes our pieces and he doesn't leave them over there by our fires and where all of our lives have been torn apart. He takes our pieces and picks them all up and puts them together and he restores us and he moves us back forward to be new again. That's kind of how communion is, you know, as we get ready to shift into that. Everybody's used to having communion. If you have communion with you right now, 
uh, we're going to invite you to take that. Uh, but I would like to add that all those bits and pieces, in my experience, sometimes that whole one piece of bread, that one piece of bread uh, broken up in different pieces as Jesus gave his disciples, is just a little piece of the whole but he doesn't leave us there in pieces. He restores us all back somehow miraculously as that one whole solid piece. And I just think that's something we could look forward to at this time. And I'm going to take a moment uh, before we end in prayer and a blessing and invite you right now uh, at this time to, uh, if you have your communion elements there, uh, to take communion. All right, so I have a few things to share before we uh, finish up. Great, great job, Keith. Thank you so much. I know we missed Josh uh, this week, but uh, it was great having you. Thank you. I want to remind you guys to, you guys can watch online. You guys can still share this and watch it afterwards. If you missed the beginning portion of it, you can catch it in our app, on our website. Um, and, and through the week, uh, trying to keep people connected still, you can sign up for groups. Uh, you can sign up on the website, on our Movement Online uh, page. Uh, check that out. Um, so we did things a little bit different this morning. We mm-hmm. didn't include our, our kids' stuff at the beginning of everything, but it is still there. Uh, what I want you to do is go uh, and check out the Parents of Movement Kids. If you are a parent of a Movement Kid, uh, Evie Light has done the activity and all that stuff um, on that page. So you can go check out that video there and uh, do that with your kids. Do that later. Do it now. Uh, whatever works best for you. Um, and so I'm going to turn it back over to Keith to, to close this out in prayer here. And uh, thanks for watching. So uh, we keep being challenged with Josh. I like Josh's challenges. Uh, you know, uh, you're never too old you know, to be challenged. I will tell you that, uh, many months, I think a few months back, Josh challenged, uh, to read a different, you know, Bible translation. And I'm reading from the common English right now when I do my readings, uh, right now, uh, it's prayer for the pandemic, uh, uh, as we, uh, end our time in prayer here. And then I'm going to send you off with a blessing. So, uh, uh, let's pray right now. Lord, may we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those who have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money and the tumult of the economic market remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love during this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other. Let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. Amen. Receive this blessing to the one who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. May you be blessed this week in the challenges of life in this season of life you're in. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.